Well, belonging to a church community provides so many upsides in a person's life. And uh, we're actually offering an opportunity for those of you who have made King Street Community Church your spiritual home um, to learn a little bit more about mission, vision, values here at King Street and uh, to potentially consider um, moving to the center of church life or belonging to the core. Uh, we call it partnership or membership. And uh, on Sunday, January the 23rd at 4 p.m., uh, you can join us on our Zoom platform for a one-hour membership class, a great opportunity to meet other new people who are, have recently joined King Street Community Church or who are also looking to uh, move to the center of church life to belong to the core. And so you can head over to kingstreet.org and you can learn more about that uh, one hour class and also to retrieve the, uh, the Zoom link for the, uh, the class on January the 23rd at 4 p.m. Also, small groups are resuming again in the new year on Sunday, uh, January the 16th, which is next Sunday. And uh, you can contact Pastor Gary at gary at kingstreet.org to learn more about how you can belong to a spiritual community. Around here, we say circles are better than rows, and it's always good to belong to a relational circle, people who share common faith. And uh, so hope you will, uh, again, take the initiative to consider joining a small group community. And then also, uh, we're celebrating communion at the end of our gathering, and you're not obligated, but you're invited to uh, pour yourself or prepare a beverage or a cookie or a cracker. Uh, these are symbols of the broken body and the shed blood of the Lord Jesus, and we will celebrate and observe communion together uh, at the end of this teaching. But today, we're resuming our uh, teaching series on the book of Philippians. Uh, do life differently, and uh, we have this psychological, I guess, opportunity to reset ourselves in the new year to consider what it would look like to do life differently. And uh, that's what the Christian community is invited to do, is to uh, go a different way. Jesus calls it the narrow way of the gospel. And, um, and so we've been working through the book of Philippians, which is uh, found in the New Testament, a four-chapter book written by the Apostle Paul from a first-century Roman prison. And he's writing to his friends back in modern-day Greece, but known in the ancient world as Philippi. And uh, there is a, a beautiful theme that weaves through the book. Um, and it kind of um, moves on the hinges of the door that opens for us to understand Messiah Jesus in the second chapter, Philippians chapter 2. Uh, verses 5 through 11 form what has been called a Christological hymn or a song that was sung in the early church that helped them understand and remind themselves of the true nature of the Lord Jesus. And so that passage serves not just as the center of gravity for the book of Philippians, but it's also been assisting us as we move through this series, um, as we um, consider this as our passage to ponder. So let me, let me read this for us today from Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 8. The book of Philippians is very pragmatic or practical. Uh, it's not like the book of Romans that has a lot of doctrinal or theological complex ideas, but Philippians is a uh, very, um, uh, like I said, a pragmatic book that gives us handles to hold on to and gives us a lot of practical application points for those who've signed up to follow Jesus. Uh, but this is one of those passages that has deep theological roots. And uh, so I'll, I'll read it for us again this morning. Uh, so Philippians chapter 2, beginning at verse 5. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God or status with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. The word of the Lord. 
uh, very powerful passage for us to remind us again of the mission of the Lord Jesus and how he plays a central role in the Christian faith and how Paul writes this passage as a central um, part of the book of Philippians. Um, so this morning, we're going to talk about this invitation for us to live a well-adjusted, spiritually mature life. And um, the scriptures invite us, call us to grow up in the faith, to mature. Um, and so we're going to look at a passage from the book of James, a passage from the book of Ephesians. And then we'll land our teaching uh, this morning on the, uh, from a passage in the book of Philippians, consistent with our, our series as we move through this, um, this passage together. And so... The word that is translated mature in the Greek um, has this connotation of full age or full stature or perfection or whole or growth in mental and moral character. And so I just said a mouthful there. Uh, but one little word in English when we say mature, we get this concept of growing up. Um, you know, we say to some people, why don't you just grow up? What we're saying is, why don't you... Um, mature, and why don't you act more whole, or more fully developed, uh, or more um, well-adjusted, so to speak. And so um, the gospel of Jesus invites us to become the best version of ourselves. And so it's one thing to say yes to the finished work of Jesus, to again acknowledge that Christ died for the sins of the whole world, including our own, and we'll celebrate that at communion in just a few moments. Um, but a big part of the gospel is that the spirit of Jesus comes to make his home in our hearts and to lead us forward to live a good and beautiful life. And so maturity is a very consistent invitation that's brought to us throughout the New Testament. Um, now, the challenge with growing up in maturity is, as we talked about last week, just like you can't fake confidence, you can't fake maturity. Maturity is the result of, uh, as kids growing up, we needed to get adequate rest and we needed to eat um, healthy, nutritious meals. And then if we had the right um, growth environment, growth kind of automatically happened. And uh, Christian Schwartz calls these growth automatis automatisms where they automatically happen. And the same is true, not just physically when we encourage our kids to get adequate sleep and to eat well so that they can grow to the stature that God has assigned for them biologically, but also from a spiritual point of view to put ourselves in the right environments and to participate in the right practices and avoid certain kinds of behaviors because some of those things get in the way of us growing up and becoming the mature people God wants us to be. And so um, we're going to take a look again at a passage from the book of James, the book of Ephesians, and then ultimately the, the book of Philippians. And we'll learn today four things, that growth or maturity requires a um, growth-oriented perspective as we look at the events of our lives, um, a choice to remain grounded, and to be selective in choosing the circle of influence that we belong to. And then finally, um, practicing relational humility will go a long way towards us growing and maturing in our faith. So uh, in the limited time that we have today, let me share these four principles with you. Mature people face trials differently. Um, adversity generally does two things. It reforms us and reveals us. Um, Pastor Doug Schneider, who recently uh, passed into God's uninterrupted presence in his heaven. Um, uh, we celebrate his life on this most recent Monday, and we're praying for the Embassy Church in Oshawa as they're grieving the loss of their pastor. 
Uh, I used to serve with Pastor Doug Schneider a number of years ago as his youth pastor. And he used to say that um, if you get nudged or you get bumped along life's way, whatever is inside of you is going to spill out. If there is a um, purity about your heart and mind and soul and a disposition that's clean before God and others, what's going to spill out of you, again, can't be faked. It's who we are. And the alternate is also true, that if our hearts are muddied up with all sorts of things, if we've been polluted in some way and um, our life is just um, a little bit um, not what it is intended to be, our hearts are a little darkened by the way we've ordered our world. When we get bumped or nudged or somebody knocks us over, what's inside of us will ultimately come out. And so uh, this is an invitation for us. When we experience the adversity of our life, and it's going to come to everyone. It will either reform us in some way because it will be a tool uh, or it's going to reveal what's inside us. And so adversity is not something to run away from, but it serves a purpose. Um, mature people see trials as opportunities, opportunities to grow and learn and become increasingly aware of actually what's inside of them. Uh, mature people, and we'll just look at this text in just a moment, refuse to demand that everything go their way in life that there are times when adversity and difficulty and challenges come and they're sent to us to reform or reveal so that we can be more aware of the areas of our life that need growth. Uh, James wrote uh, this passage this way when he said, consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete not lacking anything. And so James writes and says, adversity and challenge comes, times of testing, to invite us to choose a pathway of perseverance so that we can become mature and complete. And uh, it's actually interesting, and uh, track with me on this one, the word joy that's used in this passage, consider it pure joy, my brothers, when you face, and sisters, when you face trials of many kinds, it could be translated, and it's got an association with this concept of cheerfulness. And in the original language, uh, the word for joy is kara, C-H-A-R-A, transliterated in English. But it comes from a word that we would transliterate in English, kairos. So um, this idea of joy, track with me on this one, is rooted fundamentally in understanding what kairos means. Kairos is one of the Greek words. There's chronos and kairos. Chronos is chronological time. Kairos is seasonal time. And so James is writing here, the way that we can have joy when we experience testings and trials and life's difficulties and all the adversity that comes to us is to understand that fundamentally it is a um, Kairos experience. It is a season of time. Seasons come to pass. We have our winter and our spring and our summer and our fall. And those seasons don't last forever. And so we can be cheerful and joyful in the middle of adversity and testing because we understand that this too will pass. Seasons of difficulty and testing don't last forever. So mature people understand this, that they can have joy and be cheerful in the face of challenge, not because they don't feel the sting of pain. They do function in the realm of reality. They don't live in a place of denial. They acknowledge that life can be hard, but they understand that the hard is seasonal and it will pass at some point. 
And so mature people face trials differently. Secondly, uh, mature people um, are anchored and approach life interdependently. Um, growing up involves two things. Uh, as we grew up or grow, grow up from our family of origin, we will learn to differentiate or detach ourselves from our um, family of origin, and we will attach ourselves to others. Um, scripture describes it this way. For this reason, a man will leave his mother and father, be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. And so there's a leaving and there is an attaching or a cleaving that happens. Uh, this is what it means to be a fully functional, well-developed, mature human being. This is what we learn to do along the way. And it's really, really hard to detach sometimes, either from the people we love or from the experiences that are familiar or from the season we find ourselves in as we step into another season of life. But detachment is what it means to be human. We will learn to practice detaching at several points in our lives, and we'll also learn to attach. Now, we're gonna talk about anchoring for just a moment. Those of you who love to be out on um, serene bodies of water, lakes, uh, on those beautiful summer days, whether you've got a fishing rod in the water or you're just taking in the beauty and the quiet of the moment, it doesn't matter how quiet the water is and how calm the winds are. There is a law of the lake and the law of the lake goes like this. Wherever I find myself, if I'm unanchored, as I look at the shoreline, one hour from now, I will have a very different vantage point of the shoreline. Because the law of the lake is we tend to drift. This is what it means to be human too. And so this is why we need anchors in our life. And so let me read this passage from Ephesians chapter four, beginning at verse 11. So Christ himself gave leaders, he gave apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, pastors and teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up. This is a sense of growth, right? So we might be built up until we all, this is a word of plurality here, till we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the son of God and become mature. This is a process and it's progressive, and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. That's the point. Once we are in the gospel, we've said yes to the leadership of Jesus. We are now growing up into the fullness of Christ. Then we will no longer be the law of the lake. We will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves. We're going to grow up. We're not going to be infantile in our thinking and in our behaving. We're not going to be living bound by the law of the lake, drifting tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. Instead, he says, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head. That is Christ. Again, we're growing up into Jesus. From him, the whole body, a relational interdependent community, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, just like our human body is grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. You get the clear teaching here from Paul that his view of the Christian life is not to be lived in isolation, not to be siloed in some individualistic manner, but to be lived in community where we actually step into circles of relational connectedness. And it's all around and for the purposes of growing up into Christ, becoming mature. And so... Um, at King Street Community Church, we encourage people to join circles. I've already mentioned that to you earlier today. I want to encourage you to find a relational circle of connection. Um, we were made for it. 
Uh, we are the family of God, as Paul mentions, brothers and sisters who belong together. We're also introducing the idea that is not a program of the church, but it's a concept that we keep talking about. Uh, we want to encourage people to find either pairs, triads, or quads. And, and what we mean by that is it's good to um, do life with others. Uh, I, I walk with a friend of mine at King Street. We get together, maybe not monthly, maybe every six weeks, and we go for a walk. We talk about what we're learning in our courses that we're taking, about what we're learning in our walk with Jesus. Uh, we just get together to connect. It's a wonderful thing. We find conservation areas. We go for walks with coffees and teas, and it's, it's a really cool thing. Uh, I get together with um, three other buddies of mine, and we, um, we go cycling, and we talk about our lives, and we talk about our challenges, and we talk about some of the ministry uh, opportunities we're, we're encountering. And so I, I have uh, another person in my life who is an accountability partner. I meet with him on a regular basis. I want to encourage you to find at least one other person, maybe two other people, maybe three other people, to connect with organically, so to speak, around you like to read books, you like to cycle, you like to walk, you like to hike, you like to camp, whatever it might be, but you have common interests in mind and you have commonality in your faith. It's really, really an important thing. So remember, we're going to hear about this. Pairs, triads, and quads want to encourage people to find others to connect with. Um, and so Paul is writing to a community. He uses plural language, and we're invited to mature together. Um, whole communities can be dwarfed in their approach to spirituality if they subscribe to a, a misguided view of scripture or a misguided understanding of the gospel. So it's really important what community you attach yourself to. And so we wanna grow in maturity together. Yes, as individuals, yes, as families, but as a church community, we wanna grow up together into all that God has for us. All right, number three, mature people follow godly examples. And I'll be brief with this. Being selective about the people that we choose to allow to influence us is really important. We are people who, um, when we walk together, we become like each other. Um, he who walks or she who walks with the wise becomes wise, but a companion of fools suffers harm. Uh, there is a, um, an overflow that comes out of our lives that infects or influences others for good. Uh, it's just the law of life. As iron sharpens iron, so one man or woman sharpens another. And so we want to be really careful at who we allow to influence us. Um, I've got some wonderful friends in my life that I've chosen selectively who influence me for good. They make me better. And I hope I make them better. And it's, it's really, really important that we're selective. And Paul says this, as we turn our attention to Philippians now, um, Paul warns us about who we should spend time with. And he actually invites people to be selective on who they allow to influence them. So he says this as we pick up our text for today in verse 15 of chapter 3 of the book of Philippians. He says, all of us then who are mature, that's the context of his next part of his letter to the Philippians. All of us who are mature should take such a view of things. Well, what is the view of things? Previously, which was last week, we talked about how we ought not to take confidence or put confidence in our own good works or our own um, uh, good things we've done in this world but rather we should put confidence in what Jesus has done for us. Our righteousness is not a self-righteousness. It's the righteousness of Christ. And so he says, all of us who are mature should, say, should take such a view of things. And if on some point you think differently, that too God will make clear to you. Only let us live up to what we have already attained. He says, join together in following my example, brothers and sisters. 
And just as you have us as a model, keep your eyes on those who live as we do. So Paul's saying here, follow me, follow us as apostolic leaders as we follow Christ. Keep your focus on those who live and resemble the kind of Christ-like life that Paul and his apostle friends were living. For as as I have often told you before and now tell you again, even with tears, Paul writes, many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Uh, He says, instead, we should assemble with those who have a high view of Jesus, because not everybody does. He says their destiny is destruction. We ought to consider the trajectory of people's lives and not just follow people haphazardly, but instead we should follow people deliberately and intentionally, anticipating where the destiny of their life will take them. And he says uh, their God is their stomach. Their desires are everything. Often they live unrestrained lives. He says, and um, their passions is in their shame. Their mind is set on earthly things, but our citizenship as the people of God is in heaven. And we eagerly await a savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control will transform or grow us up our lowly bodies so that they uh, will be like his glorious resurrected body. And so we are invited to be people, mature people, who follow godly examples. And so be very selective in 2022 who you allow to influence you, whether that be the books you read, the programs you watch, the friendships you keep, the people you attach to. Uh, Be discerning. It'll serve you well. All right, number four, mature people practice relational humility. Um, Arrogance and stubbornness gets in the way of healthy relationships. When we view ourselves as above others, uh, it's problematic. And uh, we need to approach our relationships with a strong measure of humility. We read that about the Lord Jesus in Philippians chapter 2. Um, now, Paul speaks directly to two ladies. He calls them out in the first century. Uh, they must have been high profile. Their disagreement must have been public. And uh, Paul pleads with them to settle their differences because their differences appear to be hurting the larger community. So um, we'll keep reading in Philippians chapter 3. Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, beginning at verse 1 of chapter 4, stay true to the Lord. I love you and long to see you, dear friends, for you are my joy and the crown I receive from my work. Now I appeal to these two women, Euodia and Synthke. Please, because you belong to the Lord, settle your disagreement, he says. So really quickly, we don't know all the backstory and why these two women were in a place of disagreement, but we do know this. From studying human nature, conflict is inevitable in human relationships. Um, The principle of thorns and thistles, because of the curse or the fall of humanity, God speaks and says the ground will produce thorns and thistles, resistance for your work. And even in our relationships, there is resistance. It's called conflict. Even really good marriages experience a measure of conflict. And so just because there's conflict doesn't mean it's a negative or unhealthy relationship. Every good relationship has conflict that we need to work through. Secondly, clarity about the problem is essential. Before you can both get on the same side of the problem, we have to be clear about what the problem is, and then we can address it together. And then finally, we need to curate an attitude of humility and own the stuff we need to own so that an example of these two women, both people can take some measure of responsibility and move toward each other. So we're gonna celebrate communion today It's an invitation for us to remind ourselves again of the broken body and the shed blood of the Lord Jesus, 
And again, you're not obligated, but you're invited. If you have um, chosen to follow the Lord Jesus imperfectly like the rest of us, you're invited to eat and drink. And uh, if you are at the edges of faith and you have not decided to follow Jesus yet, again, you're not obligated. Uh, but this is something that Jesus put in motion for us as he was eating the Passover meal with his disciple friends. He said, this is my body. When he took the bread and he broke it, he says, this is for you. And then he took the cup and he gave thanks to God. And he says, this is my blood. And these were symbols that pointed us to the substance of the sacrificial death of the Lord Jesus. And so we hold this uh, cracker wafer cookie in your hand, symbolic of the suffering Christ who laid down his body on the cross, executed for our sins, not for his own, so that we might be atoned for and forgiven. And so with high regard for the broken body of the Lord Jesus, would you join me by eating the cracker or the cookie, symbolic of his broken body? And you hold the cup reminding us that there's a brand new covenant or agreement that's been established with us and God. That Christ, that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself through his death and resurrection. And so we give thanks to God for the blood of Jesus that is applied to the door frames of our hearts that causes us to um, go free and to live and to have our sins forgiven. So would you join me by drinking from the cup? And we give thanks to God for all that was done for us in Christ. Let me pray for you, and then we'll invite the host pastors to come back. Father, thank you again today for this invitation to live a well-adjusted, spiritually mature life. Lord, there are a host of obstacles that get in the way of us making progress. But thanks be to God for the companionship of your word and your spirit that helps us make progress along the way. I pray that you would help us, Lord, this year to grow up into Christ, that we would stay attached to Jesus, anchored to him, and connected to his family so that we can be the people of God we were intended to be. So I pray you would bless each and every one of my friends today with grace and peace. May they know the abiding presence of Jesus and the smile of God over them at every point. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.